Good morning, everybody. Last week, uh, we took a little break for our uh, 40th anniversary. And this morning, we're going to return to that short series uh, from the Apostle Paul's letter to Rome on what the resurrection of Jesus means for people like us. So this morning, we're going to talk about the first few verses of Romans chapter 6, and I'll read that for us now. I'll read Romans 6, verses 1 through 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. This is God's word and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask that as we uh, talk about this word that we just read together, as we, as we think about it together for a few minutes, that you would meet us, that we would... Uh, live out those words that we just sang together, that we are turning unfilled to you again. So Father, meet all of us. Meet uh, the, those of us who are ready to hear and those of us who are not. Meet those of us who are hungry and thirsty and need your word. Meet those of us who are bored and distracted and not sure why we're even here. Father, meet all of us uh, with the grace of Jesus and change us by it. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Well, two weeks ago, uh, when we looked at Romans 4 together, I suggested that deep down, all human beings, every one of us, long for a good resolution. All humans long for good endings. And I, and I think that that longing, I said, comes because God made us for good resolution. He made us for good endings. And he made us to find it only in him. And this morning, I want to suggest that there's another thing that all humans long for, all humans want, and we want it for the very same reason. We all, all of us want freedom. Deep down, even if we can't put our finger on why we don't feel free, even if we can't quite articulate what it would look like to feel free, deep down, we all long for liberation. We are all people in search of liberation. And I think that God has made us for that too, and that we find freedom only in him. Now, it's really important for me to say right away that I am not talking about the thing that we sometimes imagine that freedom is. You know, culturally, uh, sometimes we imagine that what freedom means is limitlessness and, and boundlessness, and I don't mean that. I've talked about this uh, a little bit before, back when our three girls were really, really little, uh, and Allison and I were in the throes of that kind of around-the-clock uh, taking care of kids, that any time, night, or day, you might be called on to do something kind of care. 
Every once in a while, Allison would take them on a trip somewhere, like to see her mom or to see a friend or something. And in the days that would lead up to uh, them going away, I would just fantasize. (laughs) I would just fantasize about all of the stuff that I would be able to do when I was finally free for a couple of days. I'm going to watch all the movies. I'm going to eat all the junk food. I'm going to do all the work. Uh, I'm going to see all the people. I'm going to read all the books. That's what I would think before they would leave. But then they would go away, and here's what I would find. Within a few hours of them being gone, I would feel like all kinds of sad and lost. (laughs) And I would wander around the house with like one slipper on. (laughs) And I would stare at the wall and just think, how long do I have to wait to call her again just to check in and hear her voice? And you know why I felt like that. Because unboundedness is not freedom. Limitlessness is not freedom. In fact, those things often lead to the worst kind of chaos and disorder. You know what freedom is? Freedom is when everything is the way that it's supposed to be. Freedom is what we as human beings had really late on the the sixth day of the world. When God looked out over everything he had made, all of the work of his hands, and said, this is very good. That's what freedom is. Freedom is that state of achingly beautiful goodness and order and verdancy that the entire world was made for. Freedom is when the entire created order is humming along perfectly in the peace that God made it for. That's what freedom is. Freedom is what we had when we lived before God and when we lived with each other with open hands and open hearts, knowing and being known and having no shame at all. That's what freedom is. Freedom is when everything is the way that it's supposed to be. And, you know, nobody needs to be a theologian or anything like that to know that that is not exactly how things are now. That's not how things are with us. That's not how things are in the created order. All you have to do is just take a quick glance around our city or take a quick glance into our own hearts or our own relationships, and we know that's not how things are. And what humans want, what we all want, even if we don't have the precise words for it, even if we can't quite articulate it, What we all want is to get back to the way it was. Because somewhere deep in us, we know that's what freedom is. That's what we were meant for. We want to be truly free again where everything is the way that it's supposed to be. And church, you got to know that these questions that Paul asks, the questions that Paul asks at the beginning of that text that we just read together, these are questions about freedom. They are freedom questions. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Those are freedom questions. It's not a a, a theological brain teaser for Paul. This is not an abstract question of the place of morality in the Christian life. That is a question about freedom. It's a question about what it means to be truly human in the way that we were meant to be human. So why does Paul ask these questions? (laughs) 
Well, he's asking these questions because he has to. He's asking these questions because he's just written Romans 5, which has ended with one of the most profoundly status quo shaking, the most uh, profoundly unsettling in the best way anything can be unsettling things he has ever written. Of course, this is the problem of hopping on and off the the rumbling freight train of this letter. (laughs) We don't have the benefit of keeping all of Paul's thoughts in our minds while we uh, talk about what he's written here, so I'll just say it. You should read Romans 5 this afternoon because it is amazing. And here's what Paul says in verse 20 of chapter 5. He says, where sin increased, grace abounded all of the more. Wherever sin was, grace was bigger. And so now those questions start to make a little sense, don't they? That question that he asks, do we keep on living in sin that grace would get bigger and bigger, that it would abound more and more? That question starts to make sense. This little concentrated pill of good news that Paul has just written, it means exactly what it sounds like it means. And it is at the heart of the Christian faith. There is nothing that is too dark. There is nothing that is too shameful. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, that is too horrific or too far gone that we have ever done that is beyond the reach of being forgiven. We are never beyond the reach of being made new again. The farthest country, the farthest place that you and I can ever imagine running to ever in our lives is not nearly far enough to get away from the grace of God. And if we turn to him in repentance and in faith, he will forgive us. In fact, this is what we're going to find. Like the prodigal, and every Christian finds this over and over again, like like that great story Jesus tells about the prodigal. When we turn and we make that last corner back towards home, what we're going to see is the Father running towards us with his forgiveness. As Paul puts it in the very last line of chapter 5 of Romans, grace reigns through Jesus, and that reign leads to life. And that's the good news. (laughs) And... Paul is no dummy. He's no dummy. He knows, you know. He knows, no doubt, through the fact that he's been a Christian for a long time now. He knows because he's been working with people who are Christians for a really long time. He knows through these long years of walking with Jesus that if we have come to understand the grace of Jesus, if we have come to believe in the grace of Jesus, if we have come to experience the grace of Jesus, where our sin was great, it was even greater, where it was dark, there came this light. If we have experienced that at some point in another in our lives, Paul knows we will wonder about taking advantage of it. At some point, we will wonder about taking advantage of the grace of God. In uh, W.H. Auden's Christmas oratorio, it's called For the Time Being, he gives King Herod the voice to wonder about this. In Auden's poem, Uh, When Herod hears from the wise men that this child Jesus is born, he starts to reflect on all of the implications of it. And he starts to reflect in particular on the grace of forgiveness, that where sin abounds, grace abounds so much more. And 
Herod decides in that moment that he has to stamp it out. He has got to stamp out this rumor of Jesus, or else, as he puts it, every crook will argue, I like committing crimes and God likes forgiving them. The world is very admirably arranged. (laughs) I like committing crimes and God likes forgiving them. And even though most of us would never ever say it like that, even though most of us would never ever say it out loud, we do know what it means. If God will forgive me (laughs) just this one time, can't I do whatever I want? Do you hear the longing in that question? Do you hear the desire in that question? It is a longing for that twisted parody of freedom, the unlimitedness, the the unboundedness, the limitlessness. It's a longing. And what Paul wants uh, his friends in Rome to know and what he wants us to know is that this is a profound misunderstanding both of the grace of God and of the freedom that human beings were actually made for. That that longing does not lead to freedom. And so uh, he answers his own question. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He answers it by no means. And then he asks another one that is a probing question. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Notice, and this is really important, Paul puts sin in the, in the singular form there, like he's personifying it, like it's a thing. He doesn't ask the question, uh, how can we keep doing these things, this particular sin or that particular sin or that one? He doesn't say that. What he says is, how can we still live in it like it's a thing, sin with a capital S? And that's important. Because I think it's really uh, normal for most of us to think about sin in mostly uh, discrete terms, like discrete acts that we do, this sin or that sin or the other sin. And of course, that's partly true. But a lot of the time, Paul finds it helpful to pan out and to look at the bigger picture of things. Here's an example uh, of what I think he's doing here. I mean, you and I, we don't, we don't just wake up every day and do whatever random thing comes into our head. <laughs> I mean, most of us don't. Right? I don't, I don't wake up in the morning and get out a canvas and start painting paintings. And I don't do that because I'm not a painter. I'm a pastor. <laughs> so when I wake up in the morning, I live out of that identity, this identity that I have or that I hope that I have. When I get up in the morning, I drink a little bit of coffee And then I start doing some pastor stuff. And if that's true about our vocations, if that's true about our callings, if that's true about our family situations, then Paul wants to make sure that we know that that is also true of the deepest identity that we carry, the most important identity, the one that orders every other identity in our lives. And as far as he's concerned, there is only two of them. And they order everything else in our lives. In chapter 5, he has summed up all of humanity under two identities, Adam and Jesus. (laughs) And to have solidarity with Adam is to live like he did at his worst. Not trusting God, thinking that God is holding out on us, thinking that we might just be better at being God than he is. And church, 
the things that flow from that identity are the things that hurt us and that hurt the people around us. I mean, if we cannot trust that God has something really important and good to say about our suffering, if we cannot trust that God has something very important and good to say about our pain, then we will do everything in our power to plaster over our pain and to insulate ourselves from suffering, even if that means addiction, even if that means isolating ourselves from everyone around us. I mean, if we don't trust that God has good to work in our lives, if we don't trust him that what he wants is our good and that what he wants is our flourishing, if we don't think that's true, then we will try to control everything. We will try to manage everything in our lives, even if it means we have to use anger, even if it means that we have to emotionally manipulate everyone around us. If we think God's holding out on us, if we think he's not really given us the good stuff that he promised, then we will search high and we will search low for the significance and meaning we have been made for, even if that means the pain of fleeting, illicit intimacies, even if that means that we live in friendships held together by deceptions and half-truths. And the list goes on, as every one of us painfully knows. That's life under the Adamic solidarity, as the theologians would say. That's life under the dark reign of sin with a capital S. And Paul has another name for it too in verse 6. He calls it slavery. That is the precise opposite of the real freedom we have been made for. And in one beautiful and audacious stroke, Paul says that God's people have died to all of that. We have died to every part of that. He says in verse 6 that we have been crucified to it. And in verse 3, he asks another question. Don't you know, don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? He assumes, right, in the way that he asked that question that they do know that. Or maybe, I think it's more of like a rhetorical device to make them hungry to know it more. Do I know that? Do I know that? Do I believe that? Paul is saying that Jesus entered into our life. Jesus entered into life under the solidarity of Adam. And he took that whole way of living and that whole way of being apart from God, scrambling around with all of the pain and the shame and the regret and the chaos it brings, and he put it on his back and he bore it in love all the way into his grave, into the place of death. And Paul lets us in on news that is so good we wouldn't believe it if it wasn't right there in front of us in black and white. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into his death. Jesus took us with us, with him when he died. He took us with him. And our baptisms are the sign and seal of the fact that when we rest in Jesus by faith, what is true of him becomes true of us. Our, uh, our Westminster Larger Catechism has a pretty, I think, great way of putting it. It says that in our baptisms, we therein give up our names to Christ. 
we take on his name at our baptism. And that is a sign that everything that is true of him is true of us. And to Paul's point, that means the break could not be more decisive. That old way of life, that Adam-like identity of frantically scrambling around trying to live life in freedom apart from God, it's just not who we are anymore. It just doesn't form our identity anymore. We have taken on a new solidarity, and that new identity is the one that we and all humans have been made for. We died with Jesus, Paul says. We were buried with him so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Jesus didn't just take us with him into his death. With his own nail-scarred hands, he carried us through his resurrection into new life. And church, that's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. And it is one of the most profound meanings of the resurrection. We are finally free. Jesus has made a way back. He has made a way back for me and for you to taste it, to taste it again, that achingly beautiful order and goodness and verdancy that the entire created order was made for, humming along in the peace for which God made it, he has made a way back for us to that time when we lived before him and when we lived with each other with open hands and hearts, knowing and being known with no shame. He's made a way back to the genuine freedom of the way things are supposed to be. And we can live in ways that anticipate that full coming. We can, we can live in ways that anticipate it right now. You and I, right now, we can taste things as they are supposed to be. You know, when I think about how that works, and I think about what that looks like for me and you, I always think about this story uh, that I read somewhere about a bad landlord. Right? Imagine that you've been living with a horrible, horrible landlord. You know, at first it was okay, you paid your rent, but then a couple months in, he started to muscle you around. He started charging you for repairs, for damages that you did not make to that apartment, but he, he charged you for them, and because you didn't want pain, and because he lives on the first floor, and because he's a little bit scary, you paid him, and then he started muscling you for extra rent every month, not stuff that was in the lease, but it turned into this nightmare, and you just kept paying him more and more money. But then finally, you get some legal help. You get out of that lease. You get out of that horrible landlord's place. Now imagine that a month after that, you're in your new place. It's awesome. You're living happily. You're settled. And the doorbell rings, and it's that old landlord. And he's muscling you for money again. Would you have to pay him? As the Apostle Paul would say, by no means. Of course not. How can you who live in this new place still act like you live in the old place? That's not you anymore. That's not where you live. 
As intimidating as he sounds, no matter how loudly he yells, he has absolutely no control over you and no power over you anymore. And you have the paperwork to prove it, and you can live free. It might take a while to break the old pattern, but you have everything you need. (laughs) And Jesus' resurrection means that we're free. We're free of that old identity. We're not Adam running around slavishly trying to make the pieces of life fit together on our own, muscled around by our own fear, muscled around by anything really that would poke a hole in our charade. By faith, Jesus has taken us away from all of that, and he has given us a new identity, newness of life as his sisters and as his brothers. And part of growing up as a Christian is reckoning with that identity, like figuring it out and letting it sink deep into who we are. We do that as we pray, as we worship together, as we partake in the means of grace, as we live with and talk with and pray with one another. We begin to reckon with that identity. And then in deep gratitude, with the help of the Spirit, we change the habits of our hearts and we change the habits of our minds to live more and more in line with that identity. That's the freedom that we have been made for. Everything the way that it is supposed to be. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask uh, that you would would do whatever uh, you need to do in people like us to have us believe this thing, this thing that we would never make up on our own, you know, that we'd never even be able to fathom (laughs) that, that we have died with Jesus and that he has raised us with him into new life. Father, work that identity into us. Help us to reckon with it so that we can live out of it in the freedom that you made us for. Do that so so that we'll grow up in our faith and do that so that we can be a people who can love this broken world like you have loved us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.